Welcome to the Lift Dad Podcast. My name is Scott McKean. Oh, and I'm Eric Ammon. <laughs> See, that's the kind of problem we're going to have. That's comedy gold. <laughs> yeah, that is. That's really good. I would leave that in, I think. I thought, no, I, I was waiting for the music. I didn't I realize oh. we started because I was waiting for the music thing to happen. Okay, I was just like, like I was out in the ether doing yeah. my own thing. Eric? Yeah. Be here. We're starting now. Now. Okay. Okay, ready? Welcome to the Lift Ed Podcast. My name is Scott McKean. And I'm Eric Ammon. The two of us will co-host this podcast coming to you from Edmonton and sponsored by End Poverty Edmonton, whose executive director is the aforementioned Eric. So let's talk about that name of yours right off the bat. I always thought it was cool, Antman, but I've had people ask me how to pronounce it. Uh, could you pronounce it? And is it true that you've run into issues? I've run into issues from the day I knew what my last name was. <laughs> uh, it's pronounced Amtman. That's like per- correct Dutch pronunciation, but I pronounce it Amtman. Uh, and uh, the workaround I do when people ask me to pronounce it is I say, I'm an Amtman, like an excited guy <laughs> or uh, Batman without the B. Mm. Yeah. So you actually do hit the T in there. There's a T in there. And I think that's what confuses people and hopefully in this podcast we won't confuse people too much no well my middle my first name is spelled with a c and a k and my middle name is rashid so it's just all over the place (laughs) thank you um you know that i spent a bit of time researching potential names for this podcast and almost one everyone i came up with was already taken you liked lift ed why well, I liked uplift it, uplift Ed, uh, and then this moments ago we changed it to lift Ed. Uh, I don't know. I think it sends a really nice message out there. It's a real positive uh, thought, you know, like lifting up Edmonton or uplifted. Uh, I just, I just like the vibe that it that it sends out there. It's, uh, you know, when it, when you deal with such a heady topic like poverty, um, to have sort of that positive message and positive vibes around you, I think is really important. Yeah, it is my hope that we could be inspiring that we could maybe try to dig up answers, um, thoughtful answers to the critical social issues of our time. Uh, and maybe even sometimes have a laugh. Yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly it. I, I hope we're, we're thought provoking. You know, I, I hope people really uh, get excited about the things we're talking about and like feel like they're part of that, that conversation. Maybe a topic that they'd not really considered, you know, diving into. We'll, we'll dive into the water with you. So this is a bit of a get-to-know-you episode. Our first, the pilot, um, I established a few questions for both of us to answer, and I'm going first. So, how do you feel about having a podcast? Yeah, and I'm answering first, uh, as we've agreed. Uh, I feel very, very good about it. Uh, Super scared, like vomity scared about it. But, uh, like, I always take that feeling of anxiety as like, this must be important must be doing something that you're really excited about because fear of failure sort of drives the, that anxiety for me. And I, I really want this to, to be great. Well, you and I feel the same way about that. But I'm reminded of Star Trek, The Next Generation. The first season was not good. And then it started to take off. Like anything else, this will be a work in progress. We're going to learn a lot of things. Hopefully we're going to hear back from people too about their experience of it. So um, it'll grow. 
Yeah. And the, the key takeaway there is not to tune out for a year and come back in 2024. <laughs> like, listen to these. They'll, they'll, we'll, 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 hit, we'll get on a run. Either that or we'll run uh, them once a year. And, and that'll fix that. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, Eric, I've actually never asked you about this. You have a background in economics. You study economics. Tell, just fill in for me and, and listeners your educational background. I know you were uh, raised in Winnipeg, but uh, take it from there. Uh, yeah, I graduated high school and I had a very uh, large scholarship, uh, a chemistry scholarship at Carleton University. And I went to Carleton and got straight F's in, in chemistry and decided I should do something that's not chemistry uh, and I should not be a doctor. Uh, I got into the University of Manitoba and did a, a double honors degree in political science and uh, economics and then uh, went to the London School of Economics where I got a master's degree in local economic development. And the idea I had was that if you know all the levers, you know how to pull all the levers, you can change the world. You can just, you can, you, you can do that. But if you don't know those levers, uh, you just sort of have to go along with what you're seeing out there. Uh, what about you? Yeah, my uh, background is not as fancy as yours, but I'll go through it. I uh, actually am at a university dropout. So I went to the U of A for one year in arts and found that I just didn't know why I was there. I didn't have a plan ahead. So I dropped out. I worked, uh, I was a car salesman actually for two years, which... I uh, credited uh, later with being a real boon to my then career in journalism. So I left the U of A, I worked for a while, um, did some interest tests, actually did sort of try to help me solve that question of what do I want to be? And they kicked out librarian, um, bookstore, bookstore worker or journalist. And I jumped at journalism, went to uh, McEwen College as it was back then. Um, came out of that, worked in the weeklies for a while, and then uh, the Edmonton Journal for 24 years. What, what does weeklies mean? A lot of small town papers are weekly newspapers, so they're not coming out every day. Um, and, <clears throat> and I suspect they're struggling in this uh, awful time for media or for traditional media. But it was, yeah, it was wonderful. I actually thought it was a wonderful way to start the career because you had to do everything. You had to do layout, as we called it, of the paper. Uh, I mopped out dark rooms. I took photos. I, you know, uh, I did everything. And uh, it was a wonderful way. You, uh, you know, you just had to work your butt off to turn out a weekly newspaper every, every week because they were very small staff. Uh, and then when I got to the journal, I did everything from the police beat to environment to, I had a position for a while doing long-form journalism for the Edmonton Journal. And then uh, at the last, I had the City Hall column, City Column, and uh, tried to make City Hall sound interesting. I So one, I think you were blessed by having a really difficult job to start. I think that first job, if you have to work really, really hard at it, I think it, it actually sets you up for this great career potential because you, you've now figured out the hardest part, which is hard work. Um, but do you find that you're uh, still seen as a journalist or are you now a pol an ex-politician? You know, I think probably mostly seen as ex-politician, but in my head, even when I was sitting on city council, 
I think uh, when you do journalism for almost 30 years like I did, that's who you are. So it became, <laughs> I remember having to give speeches and I would, you know, you typically there'd be the counselor there, me, the MLA there and the MP there. And God bless those guys. But they would often give speeches that I would have rolled my eyes at when I was a journalist because they weren't really saying anything. I struggled with that. I struggled with um, cliches. And um, I struggled with cliches. And, um, and, 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 and struggled a lot of the time with... I think I was sort of had a split personality at that point because I was... Um, I was a career journalist, now a politician. And those, those, those two uh, roles traditionally are in sort of in conflict. And so I was typically in conflict during my years. I don't know if I'm in the minority, but I, I still see you as a journalist, not a politician. Mm. And like having door knocked with you, you're so bad at it that like... <laughs> No, no politician I know is as bad at door knocking as, as you are. You know what? I take that as a compliment. I did not like door knocking. I'm a kind of like introverted, neurotic guy too, right? So I always felt bad knocking on somebody's door knowing that I might be interrupting their dinner. And, 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 and often people would come to the door and look, you'll give you a sort of a smirk, like who the heck are you and why are you here? But every once in a while, I would run into someone that was wonderful. I always remember that I knocked on this one door. Woman answers. She's got a bunch of questions. A lot of them really school board questions, but I did my best. And then she called her husband at the door and said, hey, uh, Bill, there's a council candidate here. Do you want to talk to him? So Bill gets off the couch, comes over. He's kind of looking awkward. And he goes, um, what kind of music do you like? And we had 20 minutes of wonderful conversation. I enjoyed that. That was no, fun. Exactly. That's why, that's why you're not the politician, you're the journalist, because like uh, the good politicians run from door to door. You would have like a half hour conversation with every third person you ran into. So I went, yeah, I went into one house one time and the, the guy that was out <clears throat> door knocking with me totally lost me. He was quite upset with me later. Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> Um, so you have a, a master's degree in economics. And I think for a lot of us, then we would see you going into banking or something very sort of high, uh, <clears throat> high, high salaried position, but you went into social impact. I mean, I think we first met because I was on the board of the Edmonton Mennonite center for newcomers when you were hired as the executive director. So, I mean, those, it's not like those are poverty wages, but you went in a different direction for a lot. Of, I, I suspect your classmates went. Why? So I, when I came back to Canada, I uh, was applying for everything. I mean, I, I applied for a general manager job at the city, which is like at a university, I have a staff of 2000. Like I had no idea what I was, I was applying for everything. I, uh, I got two inter I got two offers at the exact same time. One was uh, as the provincial manager for the Alberta Native Friendship Center Association, mm. and the other was with the government of Canada um, as an economist. And the friendship center job paid thirty two thousand dollars a year, and the uh, government of Canada one paid sixty four thousand dollars a year. And also had like a big trajectory towards you know being 
head of a bank or something. And they described the jobs. And one was I would drive around the province to these 20 friendship centers and help them out with whatever they were struggling with. And the other job was to study a pipeline in Saskatchewan for three years and determine that the economic benefit outweighed the environmental costs. I thought, like, what do you want to do with your life? Like go on adventures or, or sit in a room to, to justify a pipeline. So that, that was easy. And then I eventually worked in the civil service for a bit, but I, I'm a, I'm a bad civil servant because I, I, I'm too, I get too frustrated with the pace and uh, yeah. And then went back to the not-for-profit world. I don't think I'd do anything else. There are things that, as an ESD, you don't have a really have a normal boss. You have a board that you meet mm. once a month. Mm. So you sort of have a ton of freedom to do whatever you think uh, is worth doing between those those board meetings uh and you, you can be late for appointments uh yeah yeah <laughs> um i mean you know it, it's also it's worth being late because it establishes that you're incredibly busy like people are like they, they say stuff like oh i don't want to take any of your time you know like i it's really nice actually so uh yeah say oh i, I just got caught up in a thing that was the best thing about being a city councilor but it, you know but your social impact work there's some story from your from your family too, is there not? Yeah, my my father was a psychologist or worked as a psychologist. Spent most of his career running the um, Winnipeg Child Guidance Clinic, which is sort of like mental health supports for kids in schools in, in Winnipeg School Division One. And my mom was a social worker, uh, and so those values were just sort of instilled in me. You know, we would march for peace and and things like that probably more impactful is my mom would uh, like apprehend kids. So she'd be taking mm. them away from their families and she would just have these stories about, you know, you're, you're, you're in this house with a police officer, you know, they're sort of arguing with the parents. There's a kid who's covered in lice and all they need, they want is a hug. So you're hugging this, yeah. this three-year-old that's got four days worth of diaper and lice jumping out of their head and, and you, you need to give them a hug. Or she would bring kids home who didn't have a place to go for Christmas and stuff like that. And so um, it just became something that was part of like my fabric that that's what you do if, if you're yeah. a person. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. My parents were volunteers. They did a lot of that too. And I, yeah, I sort of, sort, of, sort of wondered why. So I'm on like three volunteer boards right now. And I just think that you you, you see that ethic when you grow up and you just sort of naturally follow that. Yeah, as much as we shape ourselves, I think, yeah, those early years really form a lot of those like worldviews, you know, a lot of the baggage that we carry, you know, is developed in that in that period of our life. And a lot of the philosophies we have in life, you know, are formed there and to undo them, I think is pretty difficult. Uh, you didn't ask me why I got involved in social impact. Uh, I still want to go back to the Manitoba thing because I think where you're from is really interesting. Okay. Because uh, it's got a heritage commercial, which I think is pretty cool. It does. does it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So I was born in Flin Flon, Manitoba, which is uh, way north of Winnipeg and on the border of Saskatchewan, and it's a mining town. And, um, you know, I, have, I still have some um, issues, if that's the right word, with the way I was brought up, uh, the parents I had, but um, they moved us from... Flintflon to Edmonton for opportunities for us because it's there's it, Flintflon's a company town, Hudson Bay Mining and Smelting, mm -hmm. uh, and it's a big mine, and it has a lot of environmental impact in the area. The town is not beautiful by any stretch, 
but the, the area, the uh, <clears throat> the shield, and, and and the boreal forest there. I think it's boreal forest. Uh, it, it's just a beautiful part of the world. Northern Saskatchewan and northern Manitoba are spectacular. So that had an impact on me. Um, I was uh, sort of a rabid uh, angler for years, and that would that would have come from that. Um, and then when we got here, um, you know, my, st- uh, you know, I know you knew that, you know this, Eric, but I have struggled with mental health. I've had depression and anxiety for years and yet, um, continue to put one foot in front of the other and, and, uh, got married, had some wonderful children and, um, and a good career in journalism. I, you know, I was successful and then got elected to council. And when I was on council, I talked about it. I wanted to, you know, when I was covering City Hall as a columnist, what I came to see was that a lot of councillors were sort of regular folk. And they're good people trying to do the right thing for the city of Edmonton. And I saw a lot of cynicism in the public about um, city council. And I would try to write columns, actually, that would humanize them. Uh, and then when I, so when I ran for council, I said to myself, uh, you be you. And so in the first term, I talked quite a bit about my mental health journey and, uh, and then started a, a city council initiative called Mental Health Social Isolation, because that's a big issue. And then in the second term, I, I screwed up my courage, then started to talk about my recovery. I'm 15 years into my recovery from, you know, we struggle over these terms, uh, substance use, substance abuse, alcoholism. Um, So I'm proud of that. But I also just, I just kind of wanted to let people know that you can struggle, you can have depression, you can have anxiety, um, and you can have a life. Right, you you can you can do things. It, it need not stop you from from doing things like I did. So that was my hope. I you know um, I tried to do it humbly. I don't want anybody to think I'm some kind of hero. I'm not a hero. I just wanted I wanted to do interesting things. I think people who say I'm not a hero must think that other people think that they're a hero. Well, I've had that I've had that reaction sometimes. And, um, and that's not what I intend. My intent when I, you know, I gave a lot of talks about that, right? My intent was really just that, to reduce stigma around those issues so other people could thrive. So your passion for social impact doesn't come from that because you've had that, that drive before uh, during your career as a journalist or does it come from that? Or was it ignited or set on fire by that experience? Yeah, I think, I think, you know, again, my parents were volunteers. They got involved, they got engaged with the community. So that has an impact. I think journalism, you know, the idea of shining light into dark corners. I'm going to forget that phrase where you're uh, 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 afflicting the comfortable and comforting the afflicted or something. The idea that, you know, um, journalism is really, it should be public service journalism and, and is really in many ways about truth-telling to the community. One could argue even social justice. 
So I covered the cop beat and I saw behind the, the black curtain uh, of po- seeing poverty, seeing violence. Um, I saw some of that. Um, and then I, you know, covered the environment beat, which was very much about, you know, saving the planet from, you know, what, it wasn't carbon so much back then. It was more around pulp mills. But anyways, yeah, I mean, I think you, you, you're in journalism, you're immersed in, um, thinking about the way the world acts and maybe the way it should act. So, and then, and, and then my mental health journey had it. I think if you've had uh, mental health issues, you naturally have empathy for people, other people who do. So when I was on council, I tried to do as much as I could around homelessness. Um, you know, it is my belief that nobody wants to sleep rough and nobody wants really to be addicted or, or have the pain of, of, childhood trauma um, affecting their lives, but that's what we see. So I just think there's got to be a better way and I hope in future we can um, deal with that very issue uh, because it's problematic for cities and it's obviously problematic for people that are living lives of desperation out on the streets. Extremely, extremely problematic for them. Yes, absolutely. Um, The elephant in the room... Eric, um, you're the uh, ED of End Poverty Edmonton, but you also have this very public position. You are chair of the Edmonton Police Commission. Will you be able to separate yourself from that role as on this podcast as we discuss um, social issues which may overlap policing? So it is, maybe it is an alpha, maybe not. Um, What's really interesting is uh, when you were on council, there was a motion made to uh, reduce the police budget by five and a half million dollars, something like that. Yep. And uh, Mayor Iveson made a subsequent motion directing the administration to consider giving a portion of that money to End Poverty Edmonton. And so my, almost the entire budget of End Poverty Edmonton is uh, defunded police money. It's a, it's a kind of an oddity. Um but it, it, I think, reflects just how interwoven the world is that yeah. these things really can't, they don't, you can't avoid it as much as you might try. So for the elephant, I think I, I separate them well, but I also get to apply things I learn through the police commission to the work of, of poverty reduction and vice versa, where I can talk knowledgeably about issues that maybe other commissioners can't because they don't have the, the exposure to the things that I I get to see and I get to talk to. I think the one the one place that um, maybe there can be a conflict is there. there's times when I might vote against something that the commission wants to do and I lose the vote. I'm still the spokesperson for the police commission. So now I have to represent that position. Right. So now I'm saying something that I don't believe <laughs> because it's what the commission believes. And so some, something like that could come up. Um, but I'm, I'm not too worried. I just, I feel like they can inform each other. And I feel, I feel like, um, you know, you can bring to bear all aspects of your life to something like a podcast and not have to apologize for that. And should. And yeah, should and do should. that, yeah. Yeah, and I, as you uh, will remember, I was on the police commission for six years. And my memory of it is that I had to seriously compartmentalize that work because a lot of it was done in camera, in private. And uh, so I don't, I'm, I'm not too concerned about it. 
we'll deal with it as it comes up. Um, and I, I agree. I think there's tremendous amounts to learn when you're in positions like that about policing, about um, crime, uh, social issues in Edmonton, and you will bring that to this. Um, Eric, what worries you these days? Like what keeps me up at night uh, or like what kind of when I'm driving or walking somewhere, I'm, yep. I get like gets in my mind. The conversation that we have, I, I feel like it's so political. I feel like it's so polarized. I feel like if you take a position, you're choosing a team. I, I hate that. I, I just, I hate how if I signal that I believe in social housing, well, I'm voting for the NDP and I, I believe in social housing if I believe in more treatment uh, for addictions, I'm a conservative. Why can't I believe in both of those things? Why can't I talk positively about both of those things? And I, I, I worry just how polarized, especially Alberta is, that it's pick a team. It's not, not your ideas that we want to talk about. We want to know what team you're on. Yeah, and I totally agree. I think that might be the major issue of the day. And I'm hoping that that is one that we can tackle uh, on this podcast, uh, not only delving deeper into the, the problem and maybe the reasons for it, but maybe some ways to start um, bridging that gap, you know, uh, reducing people's um, need or want to be on a team. Uh, and we, uh, I have just the guy I'm thinking of that will bring on for that. So I, I'm genuinely interested to hear your thoughts on how the three of us are going to do that. How the three of us are going to change public discourse. Yeah. Well, I think that we will bring in, um, really interesting guests and we're going to learn along the way too. Right. And then my, it would be my hope that with the podcast that you and I would then, um, chat about that at the end, you know, chew on it and come up with some ideas of our own. Of our own. And then I think what we want to do as well uh, is uh, ask uh, people that listen to our podcast to email in with questions, suggestions, criticisms, um, whatever they need to do. Uh, what gives you hope? I think... You know, and, and maybe this is bringing it back to the podcast. I think conversation, sort of respectful conversation is the way out of this. And we have to find ways uh, and encourage groups to start to do that. I mean, you and I have been uh, talking about a lot of um, issues over time, not, not just today, that drag this, drag communities down. And I think... We, we, I, but I, what do I, I believe there is still a big fat political middle that is reasonable and rational and Canadian. That's what gives me hope that we can blow past some of the extreme views. And you know what? We'll have to. Some people just hold those views, but maybe we shouldn't let those views, those extreme views on either end of the political spectrum, in fact, the good conversations and the good policies we can create. I love it. Uh, we've had this conversation, but I, um, do you think there's space in the podcast for those views? Extreme views? Yeah. 
I think it would be interesting. Yeah, I think it would be interesting to uh, bring someone on who has extreme views on an issue and ask respectful questions. Now, we might get criticized for giving someone uh, a platform, but that doesn't mean at the end we have to agree with that person, but maybe we come away with better understanding. Like it's fascinating to me, and I helped uh, co-author an op-ed on the Freedom Convoy. And we tend to lump all those people into one group as um, crazy extremists or something. I don't believe that. I think there are a lot of desperate people, scared people, scared in these financial times that they won't be able to make it. They're isolated, a lot of them. And they found a group that shared those fears and worries. And they had, they found a community, they went to Ottawa, and and I was always struck by the fact that they had bouncy castles and barbecues. That was classic sort of community picnic stuff. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of those people, they're just regular folk. Regular folk who are struggling in this economy or struggling to find a place. I think we have to be really mindful uh, of not being seen or not speaking like elites. We have to talk their language, talk the language of the folk. And so bringing somebody on like that would be, I think would be really cool or we'll never broadcast it either way. Yeah, I've, I've got the fancy education, but I don't have the fancy words. So hopefully that helps. Um, I want you to talk about hope. Edmonton gives me hope. Mm. So the most baller thing I've ever done in an interview was the Unpoverty Edmonton job interview. Uh, I said in the interview, if this is a job... And this is the plan, go hire somebody else. But if you want to end poverty, hire me. And I mean that really sincerely that I think I'm in a spot where I can do something really good in that space. And that's because of Edmonton. I think almost people don't like when I say this, but I think Edmonton's a bit of a weird city and that you can talk to anybody. There's not a CEO, a mayor who hasn't granted a coffee with me or sat down to to be a sounding board for my ideas. It's like this weird Northern, the big Northern town where there's, there's a, a like a spirit, a can do spirit, uh, um, sort of nothing is impossible. Collegial too. Collegial. Right? You know, yeah. we, we get along, we have all the ingredients to do something as epic as ending poverty. And so if there's a place who can, that could pull it off, it's, it's Edmonton. And uh, I think, you know, I, I hope that I can be sort of, you know, stir that pot and get us excited and, and figure out those pathways. But I, th- I don't think that there's a community I would, I would be willing to say, yeah, Winnipeg could do that. Toronto could do that. I, I think this is probably the, the only community that could do it and show the, the rest of the country the way. You might have an argument with the provincial government to give $330 million to end poverty in Edmonton, given that they just gave $330 million to an arena project in Calgary. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, I think it would be a good investment. I think, I, you know, I think if we can get somebody uh, to put that on their platform, that would be, that'd be wonderful. You know, um, Eric Liftad will be a work in progress and we hope we all learn new things and new perspectives here. We also hope Liftad can do just that, lift this community and perhaps other communities 
offering a respite to people feeling isolated or fearing that the times have never been so great. Uh, please excuse us as we fumble and stumble our way through this. We can only hope that we grow together as a community. All of us are just folk needing a lift from each other. Thanks for listening.